Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Why did God create Barah Ministries? This ministry is a refuge for unbelievers where they can get the true gospel message. And it's a spiritual home for Christians where they can get to know the one and only God who created the heavens, the earth, and all of us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning, not a beginning, God, that's Jehovah Elohim in Hebrew, a reference to God the Son, created Barah, that's where we get Barah ministries from. We had to throw an H on there because people would pronounce it Vera. Created the heavens and the earth. At Barah ministries, you're introduced to the Lord, learning the word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective, so God's truth can shape your reality. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this, Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture originates from a man's own private interpretation. There goes the lie that people like telling about the Bible's just a book that's out of date that was written by a bunch of guys who are sitting around writing their opinions. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture originates from a man's private interpretation. Second Peter one twenty one, and no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. It wasn't guys that decided, oh man, I, I just have this inspiration of truth that I have to write down. So what was it? It was men carried along by God the Holy Spirit who spoke from the exact thinking of the God who is the source of Scripture the Lord Jesus Christ. God has an enemy, Satan, who propagates the lies about the Bible and whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of the world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from his rulership of planet Earth at a future time. Satan is a discourager. Everything from him is discouraging. And if you are discouraged, God didn't do it. Satan wants believers in Christ to be hopeless, to think we have no power, to think we have no choice, to think we can't change, to think that change is impossible. That's why people construct for themselves a little box that they live in and then start describing their identity about the little box. Well, I'm the type of person who... Well, I'm the type of person who, and then they they talk about their limits 
instead of realizing that we're all unlimited by as long as we make choices. And look, I'm not saying that it's not hard because it certainly is. But do you want it easy? I don't. So Satan wants us to think we can't change, that change is impossible, and there's nothing we can do. All of those are lies. He wants us nowhere near the encouragement that comes from the Word of God. And that's the funny thing. People will watch the news religiously every day and spend two or three hours watching the news, which is all discouraging, convincing you that you're going to get carjacked in a bed, bath, and beyond parking lot. And instead, they could be coming to the word of God that encourages them, tells them the truth, and lets them know that they have an amazing future orchestrated by an all-powerful God. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Now may the God and Father of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Hope in Greek is the Greek word elpis, and it means Absolute confidence. Uh, As believers in Christ, we have absolute confidence that we have an amazing future ahead of us. Now, may the God and Father of hope fill you with all joy. Not happiness, but joy. And joy is happiness regardless of circumstances. And all peace in believing. Peace means God has nothing against us. So that you will abound in hope by the power, the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. Satan has no power over believers in Christ. Why? Because nothing happens in the universe without God's permission. God has planned a life for us beyond our wildest dreams. So we follow the advice in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says this, We, believers in Christ, are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. You know, you've got those friends who are always telling you, when you tell them something that's true, they're always telling you, well, you never know. No, you do know. You, if, you, if, if you're using that, you, well, you never know. You're confused. But in God's plan, we absolutely know. So we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. What are some of those things? Worldly philosophy, personal influence, impressive credentials, legalism, I got to follow the rules, asceticism, I got to deny myself, mysticism, oh, my horoscope said, and do-it-yourself lifestyles. And we're taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. You cannot lose by obeying the Word of God and by obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's Bible lesson, what makes prayer so hard? What makes prayer so hard? We've all heard of prayer, but prayer is hard. Having a prayer life is hard. What makes it so hard? In Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, the Lord tells his believers, all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. That's a really powerful promise. So why is it that prayer is the most underutilized weapon in the spiritual life? In today's lesson, the Apostle Paul gives us insight into things we need to consider as we prepare to talk to God. Well, let's hear some music. The easiest way to have an intimate relationship with God is through prayer. June Murphy tells us how prayer works in her song, We Pray to the Father.
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you for the power of prayer as a way to defend ourselves from our enemies, especially false teachers and their false teaching. Give us the discernment to know the truth and to reject the lies. Thank you for giving us the ability to come boldly before you and to talk to you and to your son, the wonderful counselor to get wisdom for life's journey. Thank you for God the Holy Spirit who directs our path toward intimacy with the entire Godhead. When we pray, help us to know how to pray. Help us to listen to you. Help us to be vulnerable with you, knowing you know us better than we know ourselves. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what makes prayer so hard? What makes prayer so hard? Well, we study the Bible verse by verse, and we're studying 
Paul's letter to the Colossian believers of the first century, the letter that also went to the church at Laodicea and the church at Oropolis, and the next passage in Paul's final chapter to these believers is short and power-packed, providing two lessons in just about five verses, a lesson on prayer and a lesson on evangelism. And so let's listen to the entire passage and then take the part that we're going to study today. It's Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. It says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Colossians 4, 3, Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I, Paul, talking about himself, have also been imprisoned. Colossians 4, 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Colossians 4, 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so you will know how you should respond to each person. So today's lesson is on prayer, and so we're really going to be zooming into one verse. The first verse of that passage, it's Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Here's how the translation really plays out of that verse, Colossians 4, 2. Keep on devoting yourself to prayer. Notice the continuous action. You know, there's a big difference between devote yourself to prayer and keep on devoting yourself to prayer. That's what the Greek says. So it's an indication of continuous action, that this is something we do all the time. And then what else? Keep on being vigilant in prayer. And what does it mean to be vigilant in prayer? It means to be focused in prayer. Because as soon as you start praying, I guarantee you the thing that's going to happen is all the distractions are going to run in to keep you from having a conversation with God. That's what happens in our life. Every time you set anything that you want to do that's meaningful, what happens? All the distractions come in to tell you you can do it and to pull your attention away to something else. And then finally, do this, do praying with an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, it, it, it's just funny to me how many things God does for us that we don't even know. I remember a situation that I, I think I've told most of you who have been here before. I told you about this, but I was in London and I was staying in a hotel and there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken right across the street. So that's what you eat when you go to London. You don't get fish and chips or any of the local stuff. You just go find Kentucky Fried Chicken. So that's what I did. So I'm walking across the street and there was a group of people on the corner. And when I walked by them, all my ghetto spidey uh, senses said, these people are a problem. These people are trouble. So I kept past them and went into the Kentucky Fried Chicken, which was on the same side of the street that they're standing on. But I had made up my mind that when I came out, I was going to cross the street, go this way, and then go that way, and I was not going to walk back past them. And the funniest thing, when I came out of the KFC, they were gone. Now, most people wouldn't credit that to God. I did. I know that he got them off of that corner. Because they were up to no good. And I don't know what that no good was. 
but that's our God. He's always doing things to get us out of trouble, many times things that we don't even notice. So Colossians 4.2, I gave it to you. Keep on devoting yourselves to prayer. Keep on being vigilant in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. As false teachers began their false teaching and began to move into the churches at Colossae, Laodicea, and Eropolis, Epaphras asked Paul to write a letter to encourage and to instruct these small home-based churches. All of us, get, and, and here's what was taught in those churches, all of us get off, get off to the same start in life. Every one of the people in these churches and every one of us was born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, from physical birth, you, and that's every human being that comes to the earth, were born spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. How many people do you think are walking around today not knowing that they're spiritually dead or knowing it and ignoring it? And if you're spiritually dead, when you close your eyes in this life, that's a problem for you. As a result of spiritual death, Almighty God would seek out each member of these churches to provide them with the true gospel message. Romans chapter 3 teaches this. You don't seek out God. Nobody who comes to earth seeks out God. God seeks them out. Luke chapter 15 verses 4 and 5 say this. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost. That's a reference to unbelievers. The 99 in the pasture are the righteous ones, believers in Christ, if you go on and read the rest of the passage. So what man among you, if he has 100 sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? That's what God does. He goes after every unbeliever. He goes after every lost sheep. It's so funny to me, people are always saying, okay, well, this Jesus stuff is really well and good here in, a, in the United States, but what about the children in the middle of Africa? Uh, one of my buddies is a doctor, and he goes over to Africa on a regular basis to do medical work, and he said the, the way that people in Africa worship the Lord Jesus Christ would put Americans to shame. They're hearing the message. And they're hearing it loud and clear, and they're responding positively to it. Luke 15, 5. And when the man has found his lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. The good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, has an intense concern for his sheep. Who are his sheep? Everybody he's created. And he is the creator of the heavens, the earth, and you. And he has an intense concern for you, and he wants you to be saved. Nobody who ends up in the lake of fire ends up in the lake of fire because of their sins. They end up in the lake of fire because of rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord paid for every sin of every creature, past, present, and future. All of those were imputed to him and judged on the cross. That's what we celebrated last week when we celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, at the center of, so you're born physically alive, spiritually dead, so you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a mess. God comes after you, and when he comes after you, what does he do? He gives you 
the gospel message. And at the center of the gospel message, the Savior of the world has a salvation offer for those who want it. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this, Jesus spoke saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness. Instead, he will have the light of the resurrection life. What is the resurrection life? It's eternal life. It's a life with no beginning and no ending. When you're born physically alive and spiritually dead, you have everlasting life. You have life that has a beginning and no ending. The soul once born never dies. You get to choose where it spends eternity. But when you believe in Christ, you're given the resurrection life because you get everything that Jesus Christ has. The resurrection life is eternal. It's a chance to share the life Jesus has, a life with no beginning and no end. And the members of these churches in Colossae, Laodicea, and Aeropolis would respond to the gospel message as they willed. Most of them, fortunately, responded positively to the gospel message. In John chapter 6, verse 37, the Lord Jesus Christ says this, All those that God the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me for salvation, absolutely, I will not in no way cast out into the lake of fire. Everybody who requests salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ gets it free of charge. You don't have to do one thing for it. You can't earn it. And religion will tell you that, oh, yeah, you got to believe in Christ, but you got to, and 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 you got to. And you do all the you got to's and say, okay, well, I did all the you got to's. Am I saying, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a mystery. God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. He works in entirely predictable ways because he doesn't want us walking around wondering what's going to happen to us when we close our eyes in this life. So those who responded positively to the gospel message are Christians. And after becoming Christians, Satan, the enemy of God, sends emissaries to disrupt the momentum of these believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, and we're going to use the Weiss translation on this because it's pretty graphic. Be of sober spirit. Pay attention. Be on the alert. Because your adversary, the devil, who is a slanderer, always trashing you, keeps on prowling around, notice the continuous action, keeps on prowling around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger, always seeking someone to keep on devouring. You know, that, that made me sick of the stomach when I saw that in the Greek, to keep on devouring, that... It's not only that he's looking for somebody to devour, he's looking for somebody to keep on devouring. He never gives up. He never sleeps. His demon army never sleeps. They're always trying to ruin anything that Christians are doing. So new believers in Christ have many weapons at their disposal. So you're born physically alive, spiritually dead. God comes after you. He gives you the gospel message. You respond positively to it and become a Christian, and then you are given a host of weapons. And among those weapons, the most powerful is prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, and by the way, this is the shortest verse in the Bible in the Greek, pray without ceasing. I remember I saw that the first time, and I said, pray without ceasing, I got to go to work. <laughs> like, how am I going to do that? 
Well, that's not what it actually says. It says, make it a habit to pray. And that's a lot better because I can make it a habit to pray and I can set aside time for prayer and that works. So if someone asked you, how would you describe your prayer life? Uh, most people, when they pray, they, they want something. A lot of people think that God is a divine concierge, that God's like a butler who brings you a pillow whenever you ask for it. And so what we do is we ask God for the things that we want. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with that because God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And I would say that we probably err on not asking God for enough rather than asking him for too much. But that's not the only function of prayer. And it's really a lot deeper than that. So let's remember that we live in Satan's kingdom here on planet Earth. And there's a musical, Les Miserables, translated The Miserables or The Wretched, And its opening song describes perfectly what it's like to live in this kingdom of Satan's. The first song is, Look Down. And it says, Look down, look down, don't look him in the eye. Look down, look down, you'll be here till you die. Look down, look down, sweet Jesus, hear my prayer. Look down, look down, sweet Jesus doesn't care. These guys are in prison and they are at at hard labor. And it's a great song, and you should pull it up on uh, YouTube. It's about a four-minute song, and it's beautiful. But that's the message that is being sent to believers in Christ here in Satan's kingdom. Jesus doesn't care about you. You're never going to be any good. Look, you sinned again. If you're such a Christian, how could you sin? And that's one of the reasons why I'm always really reluctant to tell people I'm a pastor, because the first thing they do is put you up on a pedestal, and then if you say, ah, oh, hell, oh, you shouldn't be swearing, you know, and that's all Satan-based. That's, that's how he does things, because he's always trying to make us feel lousy about ourselves. If you feel lousy about yourself, I guarantee you it didn't come from God. It came from Satan or it came from you. But God does not want you to feel sorry for yourself, does not want you to feel bad about yourself. He wants you to feel joy and peace inside of yourself. But these messages in this kingdom that we're in are just, it's propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, You believers in Christ were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins from physical birth. Ephesians 2, 2. Trespasses and sins in which you believers in Christ formerly walked as a lifestyle. Walked means lifestyle. According to the curriculum of Satan's world system of thought. All the things that we feel that are negative about ourselves comes from Satan's world system of thought. Because he's always telling you that there's something wrong with you. According to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the airwaves is a better Uh, translation of that according to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience and the sons of disobedience are unbelievers satan because this is his kingdom has the power to influence the airwaves the air is the atmosphere surrounding the earth it's also known as the first heaven god lives in the third heaven we live in the first heaven and he fills the air with non-essentials to distract you from life-sustaining things. As residents of his kingdom, we are under his influence 
even though we're not on his team. He sends messages designed to hurt us. Have you ever had a relationship with that, like that, where the person is always telling you how lousy you are and what's wrong with you? And we stay with them. That's the funniest thing. They're trashing us all the time and we stay with them. Well, that's what it's like to be in Satan's kingdom. He's always trashing us. And we sit there and, and we believe it. Even though we know different about ourselves, we believe what he's saying. He wants us to reject everything related to God and adopt his way of doing things. And often we willingly comply because he's extremely persuasive. What does that mean? It means the negative things are easier to believe. We have just at the core of us, at the very beginning, we think things aren't going to work out for us. Maybe you think you aren't affected by Satan's influence. Maybe you don't even think Satan's exists. 60% of Christians don't even think he exists. They think he's a, a, you know, a red epidermis guy with a pitchfork. Yet false, the false teaching of false teachers works. And in the Colossian church, some believers in Christ were worshiping angels, and they were teaching that angels have the power to answer prayers. Lies that diminish the place of Jesus Christ in the plan of salvation and in your spiritual life. Remember the warning in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18? Let no one, as a judge, declare you unworthy of a reward, taking delight in a self-imposed humility and worship of the angels, scrutinizing minutely the things he has seen, being futilely puffed up with arrogance, by the mind of the flesh, which is Satan's inside agent. Your body, in the spiritual sense, is called the flesh, and it is Satan's inside agent. And the flesh is always talking to you. That's why the the day that you die as a believer in Christ is going to be a glorious celebration for you because you will no longer have the flesh. Your soul and your spirit will go into a resurrection body and will no longer be subject to the influence, this inside influence of Satan. Now, what did God do to counteract that influence? The entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, indwell believers in Christ in this age to counteract the flesh, which is amazing. So if angels can answer prayers, then what makes Jesus special? That's the way Satan does things. He said, yeah, well, Jesus does that, but angels do too. Angels don't answer squat. They're lucky, to be, they're lucky to be on the team. Well, how can believers in Christ nullify the influence of Satan? At the moment of salvation, believers in Christ become the property of three divine parents. God the Father, who's the planner of the plan of God. God the Son, who executed the plan of God. And God the Holy Spirit, who is the mentor and teacher of the plan of God. Listening to, listening to your parents by taking in the word of God is brilliant. God's truth illuminates lies. Talk to your parents. God gave you a way to talk to him. Prayer. What does Stevie Wonder say? If you feel your life's too hard, why don't you have a talk with God? Amen? Tell him, Stevie. <laughs> Well, what is prayer? Prayer is an intentional, intimate conversation with God, whether formal or informal, whether audible or silent, 
whether public or private, where we become vulnerable with him, knowing that he knows us better than we know ourselves. In prayer, we bring our gratitude, our requests for self, put on your mask first before assisting the others, our hopes for others, and our concerns about the influence of our enemies before the throne of God. We listen to his replies, either through his word or through people, and we use his supernatural power to deliver us to the desires of our heart. There's the key. See, when you do things, you're doing things in natural power. When he does things, he's doing things with supernatural power. When your natural power runs out, You as a believer in Christ can access supernatural power. I will tell you which one I would rather have working for me. I would much rather have supernatural power working for me than my natural power working for me. Well, when we come back from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll take a look at the ways to make prayer a vital part of your spiritual life. We'll also look at why prayer is so hard. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell Jeez. 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what makes prayer so hard? What makes prayer so hard? Well, when we give, we present an offering voluntarily without any expectation of return compensation. And even though we expect nothing, the Lord doesn't honor our desire. He always gives things in return and in abundance. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, The thief, Satan, comes only to steal and to kill, and to destroy. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, came, that believers in Christ may have the resurrection life, and I came so that they might have the resurrection life abundantly. As a result, as a result of the Lord's generosity, we learn not to have a mindset of scarcity when giving. As you give today, give without fear, give abundantly, knowing that with the Lord you will always get more than abundance in return. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. 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 My name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries. 
I'm blessed because this small Christian church with worldwide impact is a place where we always give thanks. Even though crazy stuff might be happening in our lives or we have doubt, we still give thanks. I was thinking about it because <clears throat> we have, you know, our car is, it's a nice car. It's a Ford Escape 2016. It's, it's getting up there a little bit, mainly because our kids are growing. They're getting too big. They're kicking the seat behind you, and we need a new car. And so you start thinking, oh, this car is not a good car. It's, we need a new car. And then you think, when you step back at it and you think about it, it's a great car. It gets us from point A to point B. We have no complaints. You know, there's some people that don't have cars. What do they have to do, ride the bus? That's no fun. You know, and you think about, I have a buddy, he just got divorced, and he didn't have a couch. And I was trying to see the, the bright side, and I'm like, well, at least you don't have to move a couch. <laughs> like, I was thankful, at least. <laughs> but more importantly, it made me grateful for my couch. You know, it's not the best couch, but it's a sectional, and it keeps us comfy, and the whole family can fit on it, you know? So, really, you have a lot of stuff, you know? And I was thinking about for the ladies, you might have a coach purse, and I know you want the Chanel or the Gucci, but that coach purse works, doesn't it? it? Carries your stuff, keeps it safe, gets you to point A to point B, and so you really have a lot of stuff. And how about cash? And we never feel like we have enough cash, right? Especially at the offering, you're like, oh, I don't know about it. This guy again with this asking for money, um, you know. But really, we, you know, did you have your bills paid? Did you shower this week? Don't answer, Zach. You know, do you, do you have clothes? Do you have clothes on your back? Sorry, Zach, you're just the easy target. <laughs> but, you know, more importantly, how about on a higher level, you know, a spiritual level? What about Christ? You know, that's a relationship that we have. We often forget about it. Like Pastor says, we don't pray enough. We should pray. We should pray all the time to Christ, you know. And this church, <clears throat> a lot of times people think, oh, it's, it's the ugly girl church. It's a little church. You're in a little room on the side of a building. It's hard to find. Not in a real great part of Phoenix, but it's awesome what we have here. We have worldwide impact. We're, we've got an app. We've got a website. <clears throat> we're, we're streaming live right now so people can see my glorious bald head all the way around the world. <clears throat> and then how about this community? We really do have a community here that we don't always say it, but we care about each other. You know, we're here for each other. <clears throat> so when you're giving out the offering, you're really supporting so much more because we know you have a lot and we know you can give a lot. And we know when you support this ministry, you're giving to this community and this church that supports Christ, and our message is Christ. And so <clears throat> I'm always thankful that you're giving at the, at the offering. Guests, remember, we're not asking for your treasure. Just, just give us some time. Come back again, you know, make a return visit. And all the people that are listening online and using our app for free, mongrels, give us, give us a little <laughs> bit of money for that. <laughs> Everybody that comes here and spills all Denise's lovely food on the ground, you know, like we have, we have some fees. We have maintenance fees for the website the app you know we have to pay the lease here it's a lot of money going out that doesn't always come in so we appreciate when you do give of your time your talent of your treasure and uh, one last thing the uh, the verse I never even did it but Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 at Barah Ministries we're always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father and I really mean it we're always giving thanks for all things the good and the bad and uh Speaking of the bad, we, we had somebody that's been giving an uh, empty envelope in the <laughs> offering. I will find you. Um, it's not really a threat. It's just a promise. But just remember, you know, dig deep, and we, we really appreciate it. So hit it, Zach.
Thank you, Denny, for your great message. Today's Bible lesson, what makes prayer so hard? What makes prayer so hard? Well, looking back on my notes from the Coeur d'Alene conferences of 2020 and, 21, and 2021, I taught on prayer. And I'm going to be combining the notes from those two conferences and providing to them to you very soon. But today, I want to offer something different about prayer, perhaps things absent from those two lessons. Prayer is so hard because prayer is intimate and personal. Intimate and personal things are a unique creation. They are one-of-a-kind things only you can do. So there's nowhere for you to look around and see, okay, well, I want to look at and see how this person prays, and then I want to pray that way. It's not a copycat thing. Your prayer life can't be copied from someone else. If I tell you how to pray it's almost assured that it won't work for you. We read a book, and I think the book's up in the, uh, in, on the shelf here at Barah Ministries. So, yes, if you want any of the materials that we have, they're available to you free of charge. But there's a book up there called Two Chairs. And I have two chairs set up in my bedroom, and that's my, my prayer area. And so the whole idea behind two chairs is you're sitting in one chair and God's sitting in the other chair. I did that all last year. Last year on sabbatical, it was all about developing a prayer life for myself. And I did the two chairs thing, but I just don't, it just doesn't work for me. I'm not a good pretender about, oh, I want to pretend that God is sitting in that chair and then I'm talking to the chair and God is sitting there. I'm not good at that. Say again. Yeah, I want Kermit back. I want somebody that I I need something tangible that I can look at. But that doesn't work for me. So that was the suggestion in the book that you set up two chairs and one's empty and there's you. I mean, we know that God is omnipresent. He's here with us right now. But I just don't imagine things that way. So I had to do prayer the way I do prayer and the way that prayer works for me. And so I learned a lot over the last year about how to pray. So it's a unique experience, and that's what makes it so hard, because if you try to copy what other people are telling you to do, it probably won't work for you. Well, let's look at five things that might help your prayer life. The first thing, prayer is scheduled. And so my question for you is this. How much of your 112 waking hours a week are set aside for prayer? Because I don't know, you know... Uh, In my consulting career, people are always talking about, I got to get better at time management. And I always tell them, well, there's a problem. You can't manage time. You can only use it. If I want to stop time, it's 9.49 a.m. If I want to stop time right now, I just want to stop time. Can I do it? No, I can't manage time. But I can use time. So the question is, since you have 112 waking hours a week, How do you use that time? Have you ever really written down how you use your time and made an assessment of it? I'll tell you if you do, it'll make you sick of the stomach about the things that you're doing that are complete waste of time that you're giving a a tremendous amount of yourselves to. Well, here's what happens when we get up. Everything meaningless rushes at us. All the non-essentials, non-nurturing things rush at us. Non-essentials are activities, habits, practices, 
people, places, or things that add little or no value to your life. I'm thinking about uh, what just popped into my head is when we get animals. You know, we, we, we think animals are so cute, and they are. They're wonderful. And I, I have had animals all throughout my life, and I love having them. But they're a lot of work and a lot of time. And when you make a commitment to have an animal, you're making a commitment to a lot of time. And I, I don't think people even think about how much time, how much money, how much effort has to go into uh, taking care of animals. One of my buddies has a chocolate lab, walks the dog four times a day. And wow, that's a lot. So erasing these non-essentials helps you lead a fulfilling life. But do you? I mean, how often do you just make a decision to just throw away something that you're doing that you know isn't giving you anything? Just throw it away to make room for something else. My morning have-tos have included answering emails, checking the phone for messages, and paying bills. And so every time I was sitting down to a scheduled prayer session last year, those things came before the prayer session. And I, I, I tell you exactly what happens. It takes your brain off into 150 different areas. And so what you have to do is you have to realize that those things can wait. They are not going anywhere. They're going to be there when you're through. But when we don't make them wait, we disrupt the serenity that's possible for the whole day by starting out with essentials instead of non-essentials. Now, it's easy enough to say God first and prayer first are more vital than email first, phone messages first, and bills first. But what are the distractions that pull you away when you schedule time for prayer? And by the way, prayer is best is not best done on the run, and that's what a lot of people do. Oh, I'll pray. I'll just talk to God while I'm in the car. Well, it's very hard to concentrate on two things at one time. So one thing, prayer is scheduled. Get it on your calendar with a start time and an end time, and then honor it because that's for you. And better, first thing. Even those of you who are not morning people, better, first thing. But again, it's unique, so decide what's best for you. Another thing, prayer occurs in a sanctuary. Prayer occurs in a sanctuary. And so the question for you is this, where is the place you go where no one can get to you? That's a sanctuary. Do you have a sanctuary? Do you have a place that you go where no one can get to you? You know, one of the things that was also true is sometimes I would leave my phone on when I would go to my scheduled prayer session, and then all of a sudden, and it's just a miracle, as soon as you leave your phone on when you're in a scheduled prayer session, everyone in the world wants to text message message you or call you turn the phone off so you get into your sanctuary this place you go where no one can get to you few of us really have such a place why because it's created we believe we have been have to be accessible to everyone all the time one of my clients assessing his time you said i feel like i'll be letting people down if i'm not as accessible all the time if i drop everything to help maybe people will like me better is he right? Perhaps. But he can, have, can he have 30 to 60 minutes for himself that's devoted to prayer in a place where no one can get to him? 
Now, this thing is really underestimated. You know, I, in, in my real career, my other career, I do executive coaching. It took me six months to get one of my coaching clients to create a sanctuary. And he finally figured it out that the sanctuary was in his truck and he drove his truck up on a mountain to a very secluded place. And I told him, drive your truck up there and just take a notepad and a pen and just sit there. And anything that comes to your mind, write it down. And this is now a regular part of his routine. And he talks about how serene it is and how important it is just to get away from the office, to get away from the family, to get away from everything, to get away from the phone and just have a place where no one can get to you. Next, prayer unfolds in an atmosphere. Prayer unfolds in an atmosphere. And an atmosphere is something that you can create. So here's my question for you. What do you do to create an atmosphere supportive of your prayer life? A friend mentioned that when she sets aside time for prayer, she plays a few Christian songs to get her in the mood to be in God's presence. And I was thinking, when she told me that, I was thinking, are we allowed to do that? <laughs> are we allowed to do that? Where does it say in the Bible that that's okay? Well, that's what makes prayer so hard. It's personal. And you end up doing things that no one else does. I would have never thought of that. But right in my prayer area, I've got the idiot Alexa right near me. So I can always say, Alexa, play a song from June Murphy. Or I can say, Alexa, play Christian songs. And so it's really easy for me to create that atmosphere. And I find that when I pick out excellent songs, it really does set the tone for the prayer session. And it's amazing. It's really easy to do. You can do it on your phone too. But the other problem is that if you turn your phone on and do it, everybody starts coming at you. One of the things I did so that I could do this without having everybody come to me is I I got an iPad and the iPad has none of the messaging or phone capability on it so nobody can get to me through my iPad. Now for me personally when I listen to June Murphy's songs they stay in my head all day because most of the words to her songs are directly from the Bible. And they're easy to remember. God is faithful no matter what you say. When I say I love you, I'm not giving you hoops to jump through. We are God's property. Come see a man who knows all about me. His name is Jesus. In Christ, there is no more condemnation. Music powerfully encodes messages, and it's a great way to get yourself in the mood to talk to God. The fourth thing. Prayer demands vulnerability. This is the one that I'm addressing in my own life right now. And the question is, how willing are you to let it all hang out with God? How willing are you to let it all hang out with God? There are things that we'd like to hide from God that we successfully hide from other people. There's no way to hide from an omniscient God who knows all the knowable. He knew everything you would think and do before he even created the world. He knew your name. He has your name personally in mind every day. He knows everything about you. So, you know, your heart is a desire manufacturing machine. God knows the desires of your heart. And when you pray 
an omnipresent God who is not bound at all by time or space. Ah, how about that, Sabra? Can be everywhere at the same time. The God who can be everywhere at the same time is with you, right inside of you, listening to the desires of your heart. So we can be vulnerable with God. And since he paid for every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future, all of them were imputed to him and judged. Since he knows everything we think and do, prayer is the one place where we don't have to be a phony. Perhaps you don't want to bring up the sins you covet because you don't want to stop doing them. And that's the vulnerability part. We, we, we go before God and we know that there's this one area of our life where we're not doing what he wants us to do. And we think that's hidden from him somehow. It's not hidden from him. And so because we think it's hidden from him, we don't want to talk about it. Talk about it. He knows about it. He paid for it. And now you can just talk to him about it and let him know what you think. But see, what we're worried about is that he's somehow going to stop that thing. And then we won't get our little blankie. You know, we won't have our little play toy, our little dirty thing that we do. It's not how God is. So the Lord knows all of your secrets. He knows you don't want to stop doing them. And he knows if you will stop doing them. And he'd like to help you work them out in a way that works for you. So the world doesn't always give us what we want, but God does. He knows underneath what you're doing what you really want. And he can get that to you. So give him a chance. In other words, get naked and get in the pool. You don't have to hide anything from God because he knows everything already. And he actually loves you unconditionally. And unconditionally means no conditions. He doesn't require you to be anything except yourself. He knew what personality he was going to give you. He knows how crazy you are. Not bothered by it. Amen? So when you come to God in prayer, be yourself. Just talk to him. He wants to hear from you all the time. And he wants you to feel free to be yourself. Finally, prayer is the most powerful thing a Christian can do. And so the question for you is this. How often do you tap into God's power to solve your problems? A key learning from sabbatical is that God can solve problems we can't. He's waiting for us to ask him to solve our problems. We prefer carrying problems that we can't solve and tinkering with them. Tinkering won't fix them. A friend was faced with a problem for nearly a year. She's a believer in Christ. It's a serious problem. And I realized quickly that I had no power to solve the problem, even though I wanted to solve the problem for her. Yet I knew that God could solve the problem. I had no idea how God would solve the problem. I I do know that God always solves the problem when we least expect it. Well, last week he did, and I cried. His solution was so simple. It took time, and it was perfect. In our power... There's no way that problems get solved. During the situation, it looked as though everyone was against us, including people we thought 
were on our side. This was a court case, and, and we even thought that the lawyer was not on our side. And there looked to be no way that this would get solved. And it was really uh, something to worry about because if it didn't get solved, it would have meant something to her career, and it would have meant something to her residence. And God solved it at the last minute. And you know, I was thinking, it's like, dude, why couldn't you solve it earlier? Why are you going to do me like that? Why is it going to take so long? All right, so what are those five things that we just talked about? Schedule prayer in a sanctuary, creating a uniquely yours atmosphere, being vulnerable with God, naked and in the pool, letting it all hang out, doing the most powerful thing a Christian can do, prayer. Well, what does God offer in return for your prayer? Promises. John chapter 16, verse 23 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, believers in Christ, whatever you may ask God the Father in my name, he will give it to you. God the Father is on your side. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 say this, This is the confidence which we believers in Christ have before Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, you know, you, you're not, you don't want to be praying, God, is it all right if I kill this person? No, it's not all right. That's not according to his will. This is the confidence which we believers in Christ have before Jesus. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John 5.15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and of course we do, we know that we already have the request which we have asked from him before we even ask. You're going to hear a song at the end and uh, 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 haven't seen it yet. And in the song, there's a great verse that says, he had the solution before you had the problem. You know why? Because he's omniscient. You know why? Because he cares about you. You know why? Because he wants to solve your problems. And he's capable of solving your problems. There's nothing he can't do. He has all the power. He's absolutely amazing. Those two verses just give me goosebumps. John chapter 14, verse 14 says this, If you ask me, the Lord Jesus Christ, anything in my name, I will do it. God the Father's on your side. Jesus Christ is on your side. God, the Holy Spirit, is on your side. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this. In the same way, this God, the Holy Spirit, helps our weakness when we pray. Because we don't know how to pray as we should. But God, the Holy Spirit himself, intercedes for us during prayer with groanings too deep for words. All three of your divine parents are on your side. Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 16, therefore, because we, believers in Christ, have such an amazing high priest in Jesus, let us, believers in Christ, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may fully expect to receive mercy and to find grace to help in times of need. We don't go before the throne of grace, you know, I I know you don't want to help me, but can I? We don't go. We go boldly before the throne of grace and we tell him what we want and he wants to hear from you and he wants to hear from it from you with confidence and so we don't go like we're talking to somebody we don't have a relationship with and that's what christianity is christianity is a relationship it's not a religion 
It's not a bunch of meaningless rules and rituals and things and traditions of men that you do hoping that you somehow please men instead of pleasing God. God's easy to please. Everything with him is really simple. Well, these are only a few of his promises. If I had written more, we'd be here for a month. And I pray that you pray and that you realize the power you bring into your life when you do pray. Well, the closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone anywhere who is either undecided or confused about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what does God want from you? He wants you to make the most important decision of your life. And for you, those of you who are guests, this is how you get to heaven. You need to know what happens to you when you close your eyes in this life. And if you want to go to heaven when you close your eyes in this life, this is how to do it. Or you can go to the lake of fire. That's your choice. But again, that will have nothing to do with your sins. It will have to do with your choice about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what God wants you to know is that 13 words tell the story of how to be saved. The first word is God. There is one and only one God. As it says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no other God. The next word, the one and only God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. I'm going to repeat that because I don't believe you heard me. The one and only God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. He's the one who wants to save you. The next word is mankind, and that's a name for all of God's human creatures, including you. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him, nothing came into being. That has come into being. God created you. The next word is sin. All of us were born in a state of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this. All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. As it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Well, sin has a penalty. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. It's not our fault that we were born in a state of sin, but it is our circumstance. And sin separates us from God. As a result of being born in a state of sin, all of us need a Savior. The next word is Jesus, the name above all names, the God-man, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the whole world. John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, For God the Father did not send God the Son into the world as the Lord to become Jesus, the Christ, to judge the world, but God the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, why did you come to earth? to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus Christ is God. 
and he wants to save you. The next word is cross. The Lord Jesus Christ chose to become a sin substitute for you by shedding his blood on a cross so you wouldn't have to die for your sins. Sin separates you from God. There's a penalty. You have to die. Sin leads to death. But because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross, you have an option not to die for your own sins. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ humiliated himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, the Lord Jesus the Christ, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but has eternal life. Jesus Christ had you in mind personally by name as he hung from a cross to pay for the sins of the whole world, including you. The next word is resurrection. Three days after Jesus' crucifixion, he proved himself to be deity, just as he said, by being resurrected from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, an angel asks a question of two women who have come to anoint Jesus' body on the third day after his crucifixion. The angel said, Why do you seek the living one among the dead ones? Jesus is not here, but he has risen from the dead just as he predicted. Being resurrected from the dead separates Jesus Christ from all those who pretend to be gods. The next word is salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, credits Jesus Christ with the salvation of the whole human race. It says this, There is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is only available through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And accepting his work on your behalf at the cross saves you from an eternity in the lake of fire. The next word is grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, God's grace, you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace, you put that up, that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 9, Therefore being saved is not a result of works. It's not a result of things you do in self-righteousness so that no one may boast about saving himself. A God who is full of grace provides your salvation free of charge. The next word is faith. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. If you have faced the size of a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, And you do, you will say to this mountain, any obstacle, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. God gives you the gift of faith to spend on your own salvation. The next word is repentance. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of, but instead he is patient towards you unbelievers not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire. The God, God does not want you to go to the lake of fire. 
God is not looking to step his foot down on you and to condemn you and to judge you and to send you to the lake of fire. He doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. What does he want you to do instead? He wants you to come to repentance. When you repent, you change your mind about having a relationship with Christ. You go from not wanting to have a relationship with Christ to wanting to have a relationship with Christ. This gospel message invites you, if necessary, to change your mind. The next word is righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin substitute on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in union with Jesus Christ. Imagine if you were sentenced to death for a crime you committed. And just as they were about to inject you with the lethal injection, somebody came in and said, I'll take that person's place. That's what Jesus Christ did at the cross. At the moment of your salvation, the moment you believe in Christ, righteousness is imputed to your account. It's credited to you. Righteousness is your admission ticket to heaven. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a plus R stenciled to your forehead. Absolute righteousness is credited to you, and it's something you can't lose, and it's given to you by a merciful God. That's why you can't lose it, because when God does something, it can't be reversed. The next word is truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice. Then you are truly disciples of mine. John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth is, the only way to heaven is through believing in Christ. Now, if you reject your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, there are consequences. That's the next word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, the Lord will deal out retribution to those who do not know God the Father and to those who do not obey the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction in the lake of fire, away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his power. So 13 words tell the story of how you can be saved. There is a God. He is the creator of all mankind, and sin separated mankind from having a relationship with him. Jesus saved the day by dying on a cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. His resurrection from the dead three days later proved that he is God, and as a result, you are offered a so great salvation, provided free of charge through God's grace, a salvation you cannot earn. By spending your gift of faith, you can be saved. When you repent, you change your mind about having a relationship with Christ. God the Father credits his absolute righteousness to your account as your admission ticket to heaven. And when you know this truth, it will set you free from slavery to sin and from bondage to the law. But there is a consequence for rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll spend eternity in the lake of fire, a fate you don't want and a fate you don't have to have, a fate that you can change right now. The power of the 13 words can be summed up in a 14th word, believe. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household 
who also believes. When you believe, you take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved. So heed the warning and accept the invitation in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment, not as a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Use these words to get on the Lord's team right now. Just take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved, and you will be saved. Sorry about that mic stuff. I don't know what that is. I think we're good. All right, let's close with music. God the Father has three answers to prayer. Back on me. We're going to change it. You got it? All right. Well, let's close in song. On me. So God the Father has three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and wait. And if your prayers haven't been answered, be patient. As Danny Goki sings, maybe you haven't seen it yet. praying and you still have no answers have you been pouring out your heart for so many years have you been hoping that things would have changed by now have you cried all the faith you have through so many Like the brightest sunrise waiting on the 
those songs that will be in my head all day playing on an endless loop. Maybe you just haven't seen it yet. Closing prayer, let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for the power of prayer. And thank you for reminding us that prayer is personal. And we can come to you with anything in complete vulnerability without the fear of being judged. Thank you for being a safe place to come with the desires of our heart, knowing that you are more than willing to give us the things that we think are impossible. As we go forth into the week, back into Satan's kingdom, back under the power of the air, protect us from the propaganda. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, and not on the world. And help us to know that no matter how confused the world seems, You and the other members of the Godhead are in complete control. Nothing happens without your permission. And you work all things together for our good. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Well, if you've got biblical questions, ask the pastor. Pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Remember, we're going to go into a 30-minute period now where we're going to talk about the lesson. And if you want to join us on Zoom, you can get on the Zoom link uh, that is in the newsletter. We'll start about five minutes from now. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.